everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix Gathering on Kitties because we're watching a horror film. I saw this one recommended on Now TV. I knew nothing about it. I was just like, cool, it's called Spell. That's probably got witches in it. But we'll watch it. Turns out, not about witches, it's about hoodoo, uh, according to the, the blurb for it. So, magic. We'll, we'll, we'll say that's related. I thought, based on like the skeleton key, I was just like, oh, I'll watch it and then I can maybe compare the two. Turns out they have a lot in common. So there we go. Spell is a movie from 2020. It's a certificate 15 and it's about an hour and a half long. So not that long and yet it manages to feel very long, which is a little bit of a problem. I'm going to trigger one before we get into the review for child abuse, gore, assault, mutilation and cannibalism. So please be aware of that. The, the child abuse element is just in sort of audio only, like little flashbacks, little hints. But the, the body mutilation is quite severe for a 15. Uh, I couldn't look at the screen. It made me feel a bit sick. So bear that in mind. The film stars Amari Hardwick, who I hadn't seen in anything previously, except I think maybe a trailer for a TV show. But it also stars Loretta Devine, who I had seen in many things. And she does a great job. I really enjoyed watching her like sections of the movie. Very good. Anywho, so we're going to get in. The description on Now TV was very brief, but was basically, a man crashes and wakes in a hoodoo practitioner's room. Can he escape her dark magic? Horror. Not entirely what the movie is about, but there we go. So we open the movie to just a black screen and we can hear the sounds of like, a, I think a child like hiding and then being caught and beaten. And then we open on our main character, our hero, Mark, who is getting dressed and we see he has some scars on his body. Obviously, he is the child that we have just heard in the opening. His home is very modern and very sort of clinical and cold. Uh, it's a look that a lot of horror movie homes go for uh, right before they shove you into this sort of horror world where everything's more creepy and organic. So there we go. He's getting dressed in a suit and there's like a, a door that's stuck and his wife can't get out of the room and they have like a fun little argument where he's like, this door costs $1,500. I'm not kicking this door down. And, and he pretends that he's on hold with a locksmith and it's going to take them ages to get there. And then he picks the lock, which I have to hand it to them is a good way to introduce the fact that your character can pick locks. A lot of movies don't bother. They'll just have Joe Average pick up a bobby pin and two seconds later he's loose. So... At least they explain that, and I also find it interesting that even though obviously he's joking, he's not going to kick the door down, and I don't really think it's about the cost of replacing the door. He seems to be someone who just doesn't choose violence. He, he doesn't want it to be something he's associated with. It, it's something he doesn't want to put out there into the world either. He's very reticent to, to be like physically violent, and which we kind of see later on as well. He heads off to work and we find out that he's a lawyer. Uh, he's got a very sweary boss, who we only see in this one scene. And his boss kind of questions if he's going to be okay going in on defending them from this class action lawsuit because a lot of the plaintiffs are black. And Mark is like, that has no effect on me whatsoever. I don't have like loyalty to the plaintiffs. Their lawyers are white. I'm here to do a job. I'm here to get paid. I'm a professional. Uh, so he's very... I'm going to say like high-minded, very reasoned, very practical. And we again see that later on in the movie where when we get into all the hoodoo stuff, he doesn't want to believe that, he doesn't want to engage with it. He's a very just a practical person. 
He gets a call from some family lawyers in Kentucky who inform him that his father, Mr. Woods Sr., has died and he is the, like his sole beneficiary. So obviously he's confronting a lot of feelings right now. His dad was not a good person um, and now he's got to go back there and sort things out. He talks to his wife about it and how he hasn't seen his dad since he ran away from Appalachia when he was a kid. Appalachia, Appalachia. I'm not sure. I always say it wrong. Um, but he describes it as being a place that is stuck in time and that he doesn't really want to return to. But the wife is like, no, we'll all go. So she, him and their two sort of late teen children, Ty, his son and Sam, his daughter, are all going to go down to Kentucky and they're going to see where he's from. We hear a little bit about how Ty is being bullied on social media and his dad like urges him, you know, don't do what they're waiting for you to do. Don't become violent and don't let them sort of manipulate you into that role. So again, he's showing a lot of very considered thought about it. They fly out. Mark is a pilot, which is pretty cool. Uh, I like that it's very claustrophobic in this little plane and it makes all the stuff in the plane so much more intense. So I, I really liked that. Uh, they land at a gas station. In an area which I was like, this looks like when they film things set in Africa. Because it's all just very, very yellow and like dusty. And they've put like that filter on it to make it look yellow and dustier. And then I saw that the movie was filmed in South Africa. So I was like, huh. Odd. So they land here to like refuel the plane, which is apparently something you're allowed to do. You can just land at a gas station and put diesel in your plane. Um, and this is sort of our first look at this family out of their own environment so in the city in their home in their jobs they instantly seem very uncomfortable so we have mark going into the shop being confronted by like a hoodoo stuff being sold an old man making a mojo bag at the, the front desk having to like use an outhouse and he's just like no i'm not going to do that um we see his son being approached by just a guy walking past with a fishing rod who instantly seems kind of hostile and asked to see his phone and they won't give it back and is sort of making fun of him for being rich and for his dad buying him stuff. Now, the old man in the shop uh, tells Mark that he should you know, buy some protective charms and Mark is like, nah, I'm fine. He's not fine. He, re he really should have bought them charms. He should have bought a squirrel. How dated is that reference now? Um, and outside, the son is sort of trying to get his phone back. Uh, the guy he's talking to draws attention to the fact that he has a crooked finger. And Ty's like, oh yeah, I broke my finger. Um, but then on being told that they're heading up into the mountains, the guy suddenly is like, oh shit, I'm going to give you your phone back. And then he starts talking about how, you know, he should have something with 5G on it because they don't have like 3G or 4G around here. So it kind of subverts some expectations about what this area is going to be like. Ty then refers to that guy as being a country-ass n-word, and his mum's like, don't let me hear you say that word. The word she's annoyed about is country, which I thought was kind of funny, and she's very keen to like talk to him and be like, don't go around calling people that. Your family is country, like your dad was brought up here, so don't go around saying things like that. The sheriff then rocks up, there's instant tension. He he's a black guy, but that doesn't lessen the tension at all. Uh, because he is one of those like characters who's like, there's danger in them, they're hills. He just seems very that. I didn't trust him for a minute, and I was right. Uh, but Ty makes fun of him, he's like, this guy's gonna say, have a good day now, y'all, and 
it's it's what he says and they love him and then he slams the door of the plane and fucks off so you know they're they're not fitting in very well everyone is kind of annoyed at everybody else they decide to like leave because there's a storm coming both figuratively and literally they take off and they fly over towards the mountains it's now like dark and stormy and they're flying and the wife decides that now is the best time to accuse Mark of being soft on the kids and spoiling them because he doesn't want to be like his dad. He doesn't want to discipline them in any way. And so now they're entitled and, you know, constantly glued to their cell phones and they think they're better than everybody. And she says he can't escape his past. Um, you know, where he's from is going to find him even if he's in a boardroom hundreds of thousands of miles away. Not the best time to be picking an argument. They crash. I'm not blaming her for this. It's probably the storm's fault, but I don't think she helped. Mark then wakes up in the standard misery situation. He's in a bed in an attic room. And an old lady, whose name is Eloise, but I didn't find that out for the longest time, comes in and talks to him. He's got a bloody foot, which it hurts to stand on, but it's it's been bandaged up. So someone's tried to take care of him. They've changed his clothes, which seems very overly familiar. They've put him in a room. When he looks out the window, it looks very times past there's like these weird semi ramshackle barns like you can see through the walls like all these little plank holes and there's just dogs running around uh, for a second i thought he might have time traveled but there we go uh, the old lady eloise is very not happy whenever he takes the lord's name in vain or swears and calls in earl who's i guess her husband just a, a, an older guy and then they call in lewis who is a giant of a man who never speaks to like wrestle mark back into the bed and sort of you know put him back where he belongs they say that he was found alone in the plane wreck and kind of refused to answer any other questions about his family or anything and then eloise blows some powder in his face and he instantly passes out which i think is something we saw in the skeleton key being used as well we see eloise do kind of a i don't know a ritual preparation of some kind this gets semi-explained later but she digs up some dirt and mixes in a bunch of blood cuts up little pieces of Mark's clothes and makes a sort of doll, um, which I'll then spits on. And we see Lewis digging three graves outside. So consensus is this is his family being buried. Mark then pleads with Eloise to call an ambulance. He says he'll pay whatever it costs to get like other pilots out here looking for his family. And she's like, money can't get you everything. Sit down and shut up. She then presents him with something that I think she calls a booker tea or a booker tea. I wasn't sure, but it's basically a voodoo doll. Let's just, I'm just going to call it that because I don't want to say the actual word wrong. But she explains it like the traditional understanding of a voodoo doll. It's, it's a doll with stuff that belongs to you on it. And if good things happen to it, good things happen to you. And if bad things happen to it, bad things happen to you. So like a voodoo doll slash poppet type situation. It's got like his driving license melted onto it and, you know, bits of his clothes, bits of his like watch. It looks very cool. And she says that she's a root worker and that's what she's going to use to like heal him. She then puts salt on the windowsill to keep the devil out and fucks off. Mark is freaked out because he's just been told that his health plan is magic and he's not in the kind of mood to buy that. It's a very dark and creepy night. It's raining again. It seems like there is a perpetual storm in this place. But he manages to stand and realises he's locked in the room. So he climbs out of the window onto the roof and then manages to get onto the roof of a distant barn, which has a hole in it. And when he looks through the hole, he sees like 
it kind of reminded me of those like revival church meetings you see in movies where people start picking up snakes sort of like that uh, except we see Eloise healing people so she has someone kill a cat and put the tongue of the cat into their poppet and this woman can suddenly speak and she puts the cat's eyes in another poppet and then pushes goat eyes into the eyes of a sightless man and suddenly he can see so there's a lot of weird stuff going on and the first thing this guy does with his brand new eyes is, is to just landmark right in it because she's like what do you see with your new eyes and he just points to the roof and is like there's a man spying on us and i was like that's not cool Damn it, old man. So Earl and Eloise go looking for, you know, the guy who's spying on them through the roof. He manages to get all the way back to the bed and then just pretends that he's been in there the whole time. Except he's obviously soaked to the bones because it's raining outside. How did he think this was going to work? Mark, you're stupid. Uh, so she instantly twigs right away what's happened. And she notices that the window is also still open and there's water washing the salt away. So clearly something wet has gone over it. You know, there's just clothes all over the shop. She talks to him about the revival, knowing he must have witnessed some of it. And he tries to insist that it's psychosomatic, even though he just saw a man look at him with goat eyes. You just saw it. Anyway, so she's just like, well, this is all we have. You know, this is what we rely on because we don't get like Obamacare out here. I don't know that people were still getting Obamacare in 2020, were they? I'm not American. I don't know how this works, but there you go. You know, he says that he has to like see something, feel something to believe in it, which is something that will be parroted back to him quite a lot later on in the movie. But she locks the window and accuses him of thinking that he's better than them. And not to get all political on you, but he is better than them because they're murderers. <laughs> I, I understand like this whole idea of like he him being like, you know, away in the city and he thinks he's better than all these rural people. But at the same time, they are murdering cat slaughterers, so calls it like I sees it. He has like another nightmare of his dad yelling at him. I think this is just there to reinforce the fact that his dad was a terrible person. Eloise then comes to give him some soup, which to be honest does not look that nice, uh, but there you go. He wolfs it down and there's like stuff on bones in there, so he's like nibbling them and he's like, mmm, this is delicious. He hears a cell phone go off, and yeah, Eloise insists there are no phones in the house. I think we're past the point of him believing anything she says, so it felt weird that this was here. He apologises for being ungrateful and asks for more soup, so she goes to get him some, which is just a ploy so that he can jump out of bed and take the metal clapper from a bell over the door so he can use it as a lockpick later. She puts something um, out, out of his soup bowl into a cloth, which I think is the bones from what he's been eating, and brings him more soup. She says that by the time the blood moon comes around, which is coming soon, uh, all the poison will be out of him and he can see his family again. Earlier at the revival, she said something about everyone being healed up at the blood moon. So it, it seems like they, they need him for the blood moon. They're going to use him to heal some people. She says uh, something quite interesting at this moment, which is that he's like Lewis, the great big guy who doesn't speak that he's uppity and needs to be brought down a peg so that kind of implies that lewis was once like mark uh that he maybe might have an ally in lewis you know we'll see what happens with that later she says he needs to remember who he is and where he's from like his his background his father's background because apparently his dad was also into this stuff once on his own he looks at the bones that she's left him because she says like he can throw the bones that she's left him although obviously she's only left them there to freak him out 
because when he puts them all back together, he makes a human hand with a bent finger, like his son's hand, and he finds something when he inevitably throws up the soup, in the soup, which I don't know if it was meant to be a tattoo of like a number that his son had, or part of his son's shirt or something, but it has a number on it, and he realises that he's just eaten his son, so he's a little bit upset. He then picks the lock with the clapper, he sneaks downstairs, he has to hide from Earl, he nearly gets dobbed in by Eloise's bird, but he tells it to shut the fuck up, which it then repeats later, and she gets really annoyed. He gets a torch and escapes into the swamp. Uh, he sprints right into a log that is at head height, knocks himself down, remembers that he has a family and gets back up. He finds the wreckage of the plane, which is full of blood spray, implying that they did in fact crash. There is a doll nailed to a tree nearby, but I don't think we ever really find out anything to do with that or why it's there or anything to do with it, really. He sees a small house nearby in the swamp, but then immediately gets attacked by Lewis, who knocks him out and then returns him to the bed. So this is a second escape attempt that's not gone well. This is my problem with movies like this, uh, like Misery. Uh, I hate films where someone's trapped somewhere and the whole movie is them trying to escape and failing. It gets quite repetitive and very frustrating and I'm not the kind of person who finds that situation tense. Uh, so this kind of area of the movie felt a little bit boring to me. He sees Eloise, Earl and Lewis all leaving a buggy, they're going somewhere. They haven't like manacled him to the bed, which seems like a mistake because he keeps escaping. Just tie him up. Not to tell you how to run your kidnapping business, but get some rope to tie him to the bed. They don't do that. He unwraps the bandage on his foot to find out like why it hurts so much. And there's a big like railroad spike kind of nail in his foot, which he then pulls out. This is harrowing. Like I could barely watch and I was only watching it. He was doing it. Um, so he pulls this like six inch long nail out of his foot and all this like blood and pus pulls out afterwards and it's like, oh my god, I can see the hole. If you love Dr. Pimple Bubble, you'll probably love this bit. Um, but there we go. He then, I assume, rebandages his foot. He searches the house and goes outside. He finds the graves. He digs them up with his bare hands. The first one has like, like a dead goat in it, and the second one has like a dead pig, and then the last one has a dead chicken. I don't know why he digs up all three. Like, if you dig the first one up and it's an animal, I'd probably be like, mm, yeah, they're probably all animals, right? He goes to the barn and finds a trap door, and he thinks he hears his family down there, but it's obviously the bird talking. How do you know not... How do you confuse your wife with a crow? I, I just don't understand. There you go. He finds a bunch of dead people in coffins who have had bits of them cut off. One of them is wearing like a sheriff's uniform, so I thought this was the sheriff from the beginning, but then he turns up again later, so it was confusing. I didn't know if I was meant to know who these people were, but one of them has had his dick cut off and, and sewn onto a doll for some sort of healing ritual, I guess. So we now know that, you know, humans are being killed for this, not just cats and goats. He finds a picture from 1860, which has Earl and Eloise and Lewis in it. So it becomes very obvious what's going on. And then he finds a spell book, which is like the spell for the transfer of life. And it, it was suddenly very similar to the skeleton key. I was kind of disappointed. I was hoping we were going other places with this, but we weren't. The spell calls for blood of my blood, seed of my seed and flesh of my flesh. 
we saw his blood get taken and mixed into i guess the doll um we saw her take a little jar of something whitish from beside the bed which is why i've trigger warned for sexual assault um we, although we don't see that being obtained and now we know that he has consumed the flesh of his son although he didn't consume the blood or the seed i don't know if he did but we didn't see him drink like a, a suspicious banana smoothie so i'm just gonna say he didn't he works out that the spell is being cast on him and then he steals a bunch of stuff we see him fiddling with powders there's two vials of powder one to put you down and one to pick you up so like one to knock you out and one to wake you he fiddles with those, he makes some dolls and hides them under the front porch step, and then he hears the family return, so he goes upstairs, and he rams the nail back into his foot, so that they won't know that he's been out, except he's dug up three graves in their garden, and we don't see him, like, rebury the stuff he found, which I've only just thought of, and if we're going to ram a six-inch nail back into your foot, maybe cover the farm animals back up first because otherwise it's a little bit pointless but there we go that was vomit inducing uh eloise comes upstairs checks his foot and concludes that he hasn't escaped i guess she didn't look at the garden there we go uh mark then having found a phone while he was like doing his search at the house he, he finds like i guess his son's phone or something um he tries to get into it using the passcode and then realizes that he can just use the emergency button calls 911 gets through to the sheriff explains everything and the sheriff is like hey i'm nearby I'll, I'll come and find you mark doesn't immediately realize the sheriff's in on it and to be honest mark is stupid so he hears from the sheriff that his wife and daughter are looking for him i don't know if this is true or not but the sheriff is is, is coming so mark removes the nail from his foot again this is like the self-mutilation hokey cokey at this point he's just like in out in out pus everywhere uh, but he takes that out and then tries to like get up i guess to go and get the sheriff's attention when he arrives but eloise enters and uses the doll of him on him she pulls its little tongue out and then wraps it in strings so that his arms are bound to his sides and he can't speak and then there's sort of a frustrating moment when the sheriff's outside but he can't yell for help and he can't wave at him through the window but he could still bash his forehead against the glass like he can do that right and when the phone rings like the sheriff's calling him back he, he tries to speak but he doesn't like blow on it which would at least be something or like bang his head on the floor next to the phone i mean the sheriff's in on it nothing none of this matters but it was frustrating to me that he wasn't doing the absolute most in the end however mark decides to just kind of grab the doll with his trapped by his side hands he gets out of the room and is like confronted by earl and eloise but they don't stop him he runs off he chases down the sheriff's car and sort of like jumps out in front of it gets into the car and uses a small piece of glass i wasn't sure if this was the thing acting as the tongue on the doll or just something he found on the floor but he cuts the threads on it and then puts the tongue back in so he can talk and move again he explains everything to the sheriff and the sheriff drives him straight back to Eloise's house because he's evil. Eloise, I guess throughout the movie, has become older looking. At this point, it was really noticeable to me because she had a lot of like white hair and she looked very kind of wrinkly. But I, I didn't really notice it up until this point. So I don't know if they could have done a little bit more to make it a little bit more obvious. But there we go. 
um, there's like a bunch of like villagers around with torches, like they've come direct from Frankenstein, and the sheriff remarks on how Eloise's conjure is wearing thin, so obviously she needs to do this ritual to continue to live. In the barn, the ritual's all set up. His whole family is brought in, including his son. Uh, they've been, I guess, zombified with zombie powder because they're just sort of standing there like zombies. And Mark is dusted again, so he's passed out. They put him on an altar and they're about to cut his heart out, I guess, to give to Earl because Earl is standing there with his shirt open like, I'm ready to receive this. But Mark isn't actually unconscious and he jumps up and stabs his footnail right into Earl. So that guy's going to get athlete's foot of the left ventricle, which probably isn't good for you. Everybody scatters, there's general panic, and we get a little flashback that reveals that Mark switched the powders round. So the knockout powder is now the wake-up powder, so he's just now super alert, I guess. He uses this powder to revive his family, tells them to barricade themselves in the barn, uh, and then he leaves and stops the sheriff's car, because the sheriff is driving away, by throwing, I guess, Earl's body onto the, the hood of it. The sheriff gets out with his six-shooter and fires six shots wildly into the tree line. We got us a genius over here. Then Mark, like, jumps out and stabs him to death brutally. So we've seen this real transformation of Mark. He's gone from being this very kind of no violence very considered very logical to someone who is now willing to use magic you know he's made these dolls he's willing to be violent in support of his family so in a weird kind of way eloise is right he has come back to you know where he's from he's using this magic which is cultural to him he's using the anger that in the flashback his dad is like you have this anger like me but he's using it to defend his family and save them. So in a way, this is kind of an important lesson for him to learn. I'm sure he'll appreciate that later when he's got some back teen on that foot. Anywho, he takes the sheriff down, drives back. He does not reload the sheriff's gun and use it, so maybe the sheriff only has six bullets because of budget cut reasons. But he recovers the dolls from under the stairs, and he goes back into the barn where he's attacked by Lewis. He seems to be losing the fight because Lewis is the Incredible Hulk. He's enormous. He's nine foot tall and built like a brick shit house. But suddenly Lewis vomits a bunch of water because Mark has cunningly thrown his doll into the water trough outside and he's drowning. So it's not looking good for Lewis. He's not getting any redemption. Eloise then comes in and he does the powder on her. He knocks her out but she's still standing up so she just sort of stays there. And then he throws her doll up in the air and hits it, like, baseball style with a sledgehammer. And she goes flying back across the barn, hits a beam, which then cracks in two, uh, and a lantern falls down, setting the barn on fire. So that's kind of a cool moment, the, the, him using the doll. And she's like, oh, I'm glad I hid my dolls real well so you couldn't find them. And he's like, yeah, that's, I made my own. But she already knows that because she finds the doll in the water and picks it up. So that's a confusing line. Anywho, he then, like, backs out of the barn and she tries to come after him, but he pours salt in the doorway and is like, my dad taught me a lot and I know salt keeps things in as well as out. So she can't get over the salt. And I thought this was a really cool effect because she's, like, banging on an invisible wall. There's a slight suggestion of some CGI there, but it's mostly just, like, miming. And it's making a noise like someone has stretched really thick um like saran wrap really tightly between the doors it's like that kind of bong 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 
plastic noise like she's trapped in there and i just really love the effect of that uh, but she gets burnt up and the barn explodes um and then mark turns around with this big box of voodoo dolls or whatever that he's like grabbed from inside and he's like crowd please disperse i have dolls and i'll use them and the crowd disperses because they're not stupid he then returns to his kids and wife and we see that his son's hand has been chopped off which explains what was in the soup so i'm guessing he had like a tattoo on his hand or something whatever he he, he has one hand now they then leave and in like the final scene like after they've just driven off in the sheriff's car we see eloise's doll's eyes open so kind of implied you know that she's coming back because that's what horror movies do but there we go that's the end now i enjoyed this film quite a bit um i kind of still enjoy skeleton key more because it was less about escaping and it was more about her investigation the reliance on his escape for tension in this movie really kind of wore on me it got quite frustrating and a little bit annoying like once you've seen him pick a lock to escape once do you need to see it again he's escaped out the window he's escaped out the door twice at no point do they manacle him to the bed. This is just amateur hour. But what I did like was the fact that he was able to use this magic against Eloise more effectively than Kate Hudson does in Skeleton Key. Because obviously at the end she loses and he wins. And I like that kind of ending to a horror film. Uh, so I liked that a lot more. I liked Mark's character development from this guy who's very modern and disbelieving and a cynic but also someone who isn't really willing to engage in physical violence because he thinks it's it's bad it's something that he can't be seen to do not just because he doesn't want to be like his dad but because he doesn't want to be like these stereotypes that people have against him because of his race but by the end he's willing to to do that to protect his family so it's sort of like he's discovered himself and, it, and it's a really good kind of ending to it they seem closer as a family as opposed to very disconnected before held apart by technology and their own very tautly observed expectations of each other so i like that i would have liked to see more of them as a family after this event because we'd literally just see them drive away in the car i would have liked to see him like return to modern life like you know his his home in the city and see how his life changed um but we don't see that which is a little bit disappointing. I really like the performances of everybody, uh, Eloise in particular, great character. Um, could have done with seeing a little bit more of the magic, but like the scenes with the people being cured, their tongues being restored in their eyes, very creepy, very lovely. Could have done with less of the nail. The, the nail will haunt me. It was just so long. Uh, <laughs> it's just so bad and that was just the moment my dad came in and i could just hear like retching behind me and i was like yeah i know it's bad it'll be over soon uh but aside from that very enjoyable film um a good kind of thriller if movies like misery like movies where people are just trying to escape from a situation are your thing you'll really love this if you're like me and you find those kind of tense but not in a very pleasant way um yeah maybe still watch it but be prepared for kind of a middle act which is a little bit boring but uh, I think if you've got Now TV, this is definitely one that you should watch while it's on there. If you have any other recommendations, please drop them in the comment section below, and I'll get around to them as soon as I can. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye! <laughs>